What's going on, Renaissance? My name is Jordan. Uh, when I was 14, uh, about the same age, I got my working papers. Uh, every time I would go to my parents and ask them for money, uh, like a lot of you guys have had happen to you, uh, my parents would tell me, if you want money for something like sneakers, uh, you got to get a job. Right? And I grew up in a time where the Jordans were coming out for the first time, not the retros, anything like that. They were being brand new released, and I was a sneakerhead, and I loved them. So I did what any kid my age would do, and I got a job. And I had a lot of terrible jobs, actually. I was a telemarketer for a little bit. I was like 15, lying to people about how they could refinance their mortgage. <laughs> I can get you 2% refinance, no problem. Doesn't matter that your credit score is 500. And then I did a bunch of other jobs. I did landscaping, so certainly hats off to anybody that works in that industry. Uh, but one of the jobs that I had the longest was I was a waiter. And I didn't work at a really cool restaurant with like a nice name and uh, great tips. I worked at this restaurant, this catering hall called The Fountainhead. And The Fountainhead basically did weddings and bat mitzvahs. That was it. Like <laughs> Friday weddings, Saturday bat mitzvah, and a little bit of stuff mixed in between. And we worked crazy hours. So since I was in school, I couldn't work during the week. Uh, so I would work Friday night from about 4 till midnight. And then Saturday morning, I would get right back up at 7 a.m. and work until 2 a.m. And then Sunday, I would work from 2 until 10 p.m., and I was doing 30 hours in like one weekend, and it was pretty crazy. Now, from the name of it, uh, being a waiter doesn't sound uh, too difficult, but being a waiter has absolutely nothing to do with waiting and everything to do with working like a madman. Now, as I've gotten older and I no longer can fit into that tuxedo and I no longer wear those penny loafers I had uh, when I was a waiter, uh, I'm no longer working at the Fountainhead, but I've realized that there are a couple of things even more difficult than listening to the electric slide for the 13th time <laughs> in one day, and that's waiting. Waiting on, on, on God to do something in your life, waiting on something to happen that you really want to happen. And I'm not talking about like a week or, or nine days. I'm talking about when there's something that you want that you've been praying for and, and, and hoping for for years sometimes. And waiting is a difficult thing. Now, a lot of us have a lot of different things in common, and whether you're brand new to church, and, and this is your first week back, and somebody dragged you in, and they tricked you, they said they were going to brunch, and then they took you here first. <laughs> whether, it's, whether they got you like that, or whether you are here on purpose, and you wanted to be here in church, and you, you, you call yourself a Christian, man, we all have this thing in common. All of us know what it feels like to wait. All of us know what it feels like to really want something, to really want uh, God to move in our life, and for, to really want something to happen uh, in our lives. If there's one thing that I realize as a result of our relationship series, it's that a lot of us are in a place in life where we are waiting for God to do something, and it's not easy. Right? There are some people who, are, who have experienced being estranged from their parents or their kids or their siblings or something, and they, for the last couple of years, they've been hoping and, and praying and, and, and wanting to see reconciliation happen in their family, but nothing has happened yet. For some of our singles, right, it was cool when you were like 23, you hit the 25-year-old crisis, and you're like, I'm old, this life is over, I don't know what's going to happen. And you know what? You've been waiting for God to send Mrs. Wright or, or Mr. Wright for a couple of years, and he or she is not here yet. And your little schedule that you've had of I want to be settled down by this point, and I want to be married by this point, and I want to have kid number one by this point, and kid number two by this point, listen, you're already a couple years past that standard. And waiting is difficult. 
And for a lot of us in our job situations, uh, we're in a place in our careers where there's so many people around us that are so fulfilled and they're so happy with their job. And you know what? We're just punching the clock. We're just trying to find a way to, to maximize our gifts and our talents. And we have no idea what we're doing at our, at our profession. We're unfulfilled and we have no idea what the next step is. Man, waiting is difficult stuff. Now, especially to, to all of the artists and the musicians and the actors in, in the room, certainly you guys get this probably more than anybody else. Uh, a lot of times you guys go to audition after audition, rehearsal after another rehearsal, and you call your parents, you call your family, and they ask you, hey, baby, how'd the last audition go? And you know what? You're tired of even telling them that you have auditions because you're tired of telling them that, yes, I went to this one and I didn't get called back. And I went to this one and I didn't get called back. And I, and I thought I did really well at this one, but they're still not interested. And the thing that you, you believe that God has called you to do, it's not materializing. So you're waiting. See, waiting is really difficult stuff, and patience is a virtue that not many of us have. So what do we do? See, part of the reason that we're doing this series, uh, the series on the Jesus that you thought you knew, is uh, we want to un uncover a couple of things, a couple of truths uh, from Scripture, from the Gospel of Mark about Jesus that will help us to wait in a good way, to, to wait uh, with hope and, and to not give up. But more importantly, to understand uh, Jesus in a better way that will, that will help us understand that we're not alone, uh, we're not on an island, and Jesus is not treating us differently than he treats uh, other people. Now, a quick thing about this series, we're calling it the Jesus you thought you knew. Like, we're not going to talk about something crazy. We're not going to, like, pull a rabbit out of a hat, right? Jesus wasn't married to Nicki Minaj. We're not going <laughs> to, we're not getting anything crazy. We're not going to, nothing is going to change anything. Thank you, <laughs> That would be crazy. Out of all the people, that would be the, probably the craziest. But oftentimes, we'll see throughout Scripture that Jesus doesn't fit into this model of the Jesus is my homeboy model. And in fact, we're going to look at a couple of stories where Jesus acts so differently, so differently than uh, we, we think he should act, so differently than we would expect him to act. And guess what? That's a good thing. And we need to know in these times of our lives, when we're looking around asking God to do something, we need to know these three things. We need to know that God can do something, that sometimes he waits, and we can trust him in the meantime. That God can do something, sometimes he waits, but we can trust him in the meantime. And you and I can maintain faith in Jesus even when he acts differently uh, than, than what we want him to. Even when we're getting nervous, that time is slipping through our fingers. Even when we don't know what the next step is or the next five steps are, we can put our faith in Jesus and know that he, is not, he hasn't left us. So I want to get right to the scripture um, that we read. It's a pretty long one. We're going to spend a little bit of time unpacking it. And it's one of my favorite scriptures in all of the Gospels, and it comes from Mark, and, it's, and it starts off uh, with this guy named Jairus. And Jairus is a leader in the synagogue, so he's like a rabbi. He's one of Jesus' peers. And uh, a lot of times in the Gospels, you'll see somebody from the religious community approaching Jesus. And a lot of times, somebody will be coming to Jesus, and they're, they're trying to argue about, you know, Jesus, should you wash your hands three times or two times? Should you fast on the Sabbath? Should you do this? Should you do this? Uh, but in this circumstance, we don't see Jairus approaching Jesus to argue about theology. He's not talking about doctrine. Jairus is coming for one reason and one reason only. He's desperate. Now, uh, as the story tells it, Jairus comes up to Jesus. He fights through a crowd. And he finally breaks through. He says, Jesus, bro, my little daughter is dying. Now, I don't want us to lose the desperation of this moment. 
Uh, I love the way that Jairus talks about it. He doesn't say this thing as detached. He's a man that's possessed uh, with one goal in mind, to get help for his little, beautiful daughter. I spent some time uh, with a family member in the oncology ward a few years back, and every now and then, uh, we would stop like at the fifth floor in the hospital, and the fifth floor was the, uh, the pediatric oncology ward. I remember one time I saw this little kid, a beautiful little boy, about uh, six years old, walking into the elevator with an IV full of chemotherapy, and his parents on the outside trying to smile and encourage him. But on the inside, man, the look of desperation in their eyes. They would have given anything, anything in the world to see their sick son healed. If we would have gone up to them and said, listen, you got to just cut your arm off right now, they would have done it in a heartbeat, in a blink. And this is what Jairus is uh, this is how he approaches Jesus. He's not approaching Jesus because he's kind of moderate about it. He's not like walking up. He runs to Jesus, and he's desperate for God to do something in his life. Desperation will make us act pretty crazily. Years ago, uh, when I was about 13, uh, anybody who's born and raised in the Northeast, uh, I don't know if you guys ever heard of Action Park. They closed it down because it was illegal. Like 99% of the rides would kill you. <laughs> And there was a wave pool at Action Park. And, like, you know, I was, I'm a decent swimmer. Like, I'm not the best swimmer in the world. And I was swimming around in the pool. And all of a sudden, I heard this buzzer go off, and everybody starts cheering. I'm like, well, why is everybody cheering? And everybody else was on rafts except for me. I'm just swimming around. And I'm swimming, and all of a sudden, I feel like, oh, OK, it's a little wave. Next thing I know, like, I'm swallowed underneath. I'm, I could barely breathe. I'm drinking water. And I just started paddling as fast as I could to the first boat, grabbed on their raft, and just got in. <laughs> right? In a normal time, like, you don't just get on somebody else's raft. Like, <laughs> but when you're desperate, all options are on the table. Right? So Jairus was, was desperate. He desperately wanted his daughter uh, to get healed. He tells his friends and his family he had heard about Jesus uh, in, from the village that Jesus was healing people. So he had to be feeling fantastic when Jesus agrees. Jesus is like, yes, I'll do it. I'll help you out. So Jairus and all of his friends are like, yes. They're rushing Jesus through the crowd. And all of a sudden, Jesus stops. And he stops. He says, somebody touch me. Now, if you've ever been on uh, the downtown express train uh, at 8 a.m., right, and everybody is touching everybody, right, somebody owes you dinner as soon as they get off the meal for how they've been touching you, <laughs> right? Right, everybody, when it's crowded, everybody is touching everybody. And in this crowd, uh, we had every right to believe that Jesus was in a really dense crowd. So to say, to stop and to say, like, yo, somebody touch me, that makes no sense. Like, Jesus, you're bugging. Everybody's touching everybody, bro. Just get used to it. This is, the, this is the flow. But this touch was different. This wasn't just a normal uh, a touch. This wasn't a subway grab. Uh, this was a touch of somebody that was desperate, and they reached out to Jesus, and he says he felt something different because he felt power leave him. Now, Jesus uh, is, is there. He stops, and he feels power leave him, and he does, to me, what is the unthinkable. He stops, and he says, who touched me? And he waits there. So you're Jairus, your daughter is dying, and Jesus is there waiting, talking about who touched me. Jesus, what are you doing, bro? Are you kidding me? Like, my daughter needs help. Let's go, let's go, man. Why are we waiting here? So then finally somebody approaches, and then there's a scripture in here in verse um, either 30 or 33, where uh, if if Jesus would have said this in front of me, I, I would have probably gone crazy. He's talking to 
uh, the, the person who comes through, and it's a woman that steps up and says, it was me that touched, that touched you. Um, and Jesus tells her this in verse 33. He stopped, and the woman comes up, and she told him the whole truth. Now, this woman had an issue of blood, and, which is a chronic condition. And for all the science buffs out here, there's a big difference between a, a chronic condition and an acute condition. Right? Chronic is basically a bleeding condition that can last for years and years and years and years. Arthritis, um, uh, diabetes, things that, things that are serious, absolutely, but they don't require immediate attention unless there's an episode. Right? Like Jesus could have stopped her and said, listen, I'll come back for you after we deal with this girl who's dying. Like she's dying right now. She has an acute condition. Right? Nobody would work in the order of helping out somebody um, that has... Uh, you know, diabetes before somebody's having a heart attack. So Jesus stops and hears her tell the entire truth. And Jairus had to be sitting there thinking like, yo, not, this dude stops and my daughter is dying and he's lit, letting this lady just blabber and blabber about everything that happened to her. And the scripture says she was already healed. So there's no reason to even have this conversation. Everything she wanted, she got. Like, why are we even continuing this? Lady, you got what you got? I, I need to get what I need to get. Man, it's a difference between making a, a doctor's appointment for next Thursday versus being rushed to the ER right now. Think about it like this. You're at Morningside Park, and you know, you're there with your daughter, and she has a seizure. And you run, and you grab her, and you're desperate for help. And all of a sudden, you see some paramedics coming towards you, and you're like, yes. And on the way there, the paramedics stop and help somebody with hammer toes. <laughs> like, yes, hammer toes require medical attention. Yes, I, I get that. But why are we stopping uh, something that's absolutely vital and necessary right now for something that's not necessary? See, Jesus does things. The Jesus that we, we, we think we know doesn't always operate in the order that we think he should. Quite frankly, Jesus does a lot of things that make no sense. Now, no doctor in the world would have, would have worked in that order. Um, there's a couple of things about this that are pretty interesting. Jairus not only had a more pressing need, but he also asked Jesus first. So for every single reason, Jesus should have helped him first. He had a better need, and Jairus came to him first. So while they were talking and, and while they were there, um, one of Jairus's servants came up to him and said, Jairus, yeah, you can leave this dude Jesus alone while he's over here chatting and, and talking about the weather and the Knicks. Your daughter just died. So Jairus there is immediately just blown away. And Jesus stops what he's doing, turns to Jairus, and gives him probably the most difficult command that you could ever hear in Scripture. He says, listen, don't be afraid, just believe. In the middle of everything that's going on in Jairus' mind, his brain has to be racing 10 million miles an hour, and Jesus stops him and says, bro, don't be afraid, just believe. I got to imagine that, Jesus, that Jairus had to be thinking that, you know what, I came to Jesus and he didn't come through for me. Like, I tried. I absolutely tried. I went to him, and he didn't come through. And a lot of us, I don't know everybody's story, but I'm, I'm positive that if you've lived a little bit of life, uh, some of you guys in here probably would be saying the same thing, that I trusted Jesus to do this, and you know what? He didn't come through, right? So I'm in this position in life where I, I thought God was going to do this, this, and this, and he didn't. I thought God was going to do this for me as I asked, and he did not do it. So what do we do in those situ situations? So Jesus told uh, Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. And here, here's a beautiful part of Scripture. This is where Jesus makes his disciples. 
This is the difference between a, a random outsider and a follower of Jesus. This is where Jesus makes you, and this is where Jesus makes me in these moments right here. When there is no clear step forward, when there is no clear next step, when there is no roadmap that we can point to and take any credit on our own, this is where Jesus builds our relationship with him in these dark moments uh, that none of us like, that I certainly don't like. But this is where Jesus builds us and makes us his followers. And in essence, Jesus is looking over Jairus' shoulder, and he's looking at me, and he's looking at you, and he's saying, yo, don't, don't be afraid. Just believe. As the story goes forward, uh, Jesus finally walks with Jairus to his house, and he raises Jairus' daughter. He tells her, little girl, rise. In the same way that a mother would go to her uh, daughter in, in the morning and tell her to wake up for school, Jesus goes to the house and, and, and tenderly and, and carefully deals with her and raises her. See, Jairus uh, uh, had ended up giving way more than he wanted to give, but he got way more than he ever thought he could receive. Now, this scripture tells us three things about Jesus uh, that, I, that I want us to really get. Uh, three things about the Jesus we thought we knew that I think are going to be uh, uh, really amazing for us as we go on in our lives. And it goes like this. Number one, Jesus doesn't treat us differently based on our achievements. Number two, Jesus doesn't want us to have a superficial spirituality. And number three, Jesus won't be hurried. Jesus won't treat us differently based on our achievements. Jesus doesn't want us to have a superficial spirituality, and Jesus will not be hurried. Now, all throughout Scripture, uh, you see this theme of, uh, of this, that God doesn't look at us and God doesn't treat us the same way that we treat each other. Right? Uh, with, with King David, uh, somebody came to analyze who should be the next king, and uh, this guy came in, and he was looking for the tallest and the strongest and the most uh, handsome man in the room. And then uh, God tells him, listen, man, God has a way different standard of checking out stuff than we do. God doesn't look at the outside. God looks at the heart. And all throughout Scripture, we see uh, this theme. And God doesn't treat us differently based on our social achievements, the way we kind of divide ourselves. There's a story from our Christmas party uh, this past December. Uh, we have one of our members here, a great volunteer who was living in a homeless shelter at the time, and uh, he, got, he gets to the party because he was invited just like everybody else. And he walked in, and the woman that was in charge of the night came up to me and apologized profusely. She said, sir, I'm so sorry we let him in. And I was looking around like, who? Like, who do you let in? Like, my father? He, I mean, my father's cool. He's, <laughs> he tells too many stories, but I mean, he's cool. He's a, so, and then she pointed to the, 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 our brother that was living in a homeless shelter, she said, sir, I had no idea that, you know, how he got in. Listen, if he doesn't leave, I'll call the cops. And I was like, ma'am, ma'am, he's one of us. We invited him here. He, like, helped set up the table. Now, it's very easy for us. And, and listen, we can kick her all we want, but I've done that a thousand times myself, and, I, and I, I bet you've done it yourself as well. See, we judge on a much different standard than the way God judges. We give the rich, the powerful, and the best-looking preferential treatment over others. One of my teacher friends in the city had to take a sensitivity class on how not to treat better-looking kids better. See, because like, uh, teachers subconsciously will treat the good-looking kids in class better than they'll treat uh, the kids that are not so good-looking. Right? So if little Johnny is a really cute kid and he's acting up in class, you say, oh, boys will be boys, right? But if he's bad and he's ugly, you're like, boy, if you don't... <laughs> boy, if you don't sit your butt down... But here's something I love about Jesus and something that I, I bet no matter where you are in your, in your spiritual walk, whether you're brand new to church or, or you've been here 20 years, I bet this is what you love as well. 
See, Jesus doesn't kind of go for that. Jesus doesn't treat people, uh, the rich and the powerful and the best looking. He doesn't treat those people the best. Man, Jesus loves everybody. Jesus' love is radically inclusive. He loves people so much so that people, he, he associated with people that nobody else would. And here's the beauty of the scripture. See, everything in society would have said, Jesus, you got to talk to Jairus first, right? So this woman, we don't even know her name. None of the authors even have her name because she was that unimportant in society to get her name, right? And this woman who has an issue of blood. Now, according to uh, the uh, old law in the Old Testament, uh, which was the law of the land, right? It wasn't a democracy. It was a theocracy. So what ruled the land, you know, the speed limit was based on scripture, basically, right? And in the Old Testament, it had these laws, uh, the Mosaic laws, which gave you uh, practices and guidelines, and it, and it covered everything. It's like, if you ever want, if you ever can't fall asleep, stop reading through the Mosaic laws, and then like 13 laws in, you'll, be, you'll start yawning, right? And these laws covered everything from diet to, to menstrual cycles. And, and this one law said, basically, if you were on that time of the month, ladies, you couldn't even be in town. You had to go outside because you were unclean. So this woman shouldn't even have been around other people let alone that women were often treated as second-class citizens. And here Jairus was, he was a leader in the synagogue. He was one of Jesus' peers. And Jesus takes this woman in front of him. Now, not only that, but Jesus calls her daughter, and there's nowhere else in the gospel that uh, Jesus calls anybody else by the name daughter. He treats her like she is the only person in the world. He treats her like she's the most important and most special person Ever, and this woman had every reason to be completely dismissed as unimportant. See, we might treat people differently based on how much achievements we have, but Jesus doesn't. Jesus treats people indiscriminately. He, he gives his love. He casts a wide net. And you know what? Jesus doesn't uh, love you more because you have more accomplishments, because you've gone to a better school. Uh, all of the accolades that we try to heap on ourselves to dress better, to look better, to be better, to be stronger, to, to be more beautiful, to whatever it is that, that, that are our pursuits. Man, none of that stuff matters to God. Now, one, one thing I love about um, the scripture, if you think about it, is that Jesus became for her everything that she needed. And, and what do I mean by that? This woman probably didn't have a gyrus of her own. She probably didn't have a father. She probably didn't have a husband, because if she did, she would have sent them to the village uh, to go out and find Jesus for her. But this woman was somebody that was all on her own. She had to work for herself. She had to fend for herself. She had to defend herself. She had to pursue things for herself. And you know what? A lot of you guys are in that position right now. And guess what? Jesus will be for you whatever you need. So number one, Jesus doesn't treat us differently based on all of our achievements. You know what? That's basically the gospel in a nutshell. Jesus could have told her, ma'am, according to the law, you got to leave town until you're clean. Then you can come back and then I'll deal with you. But Jesus does the great reversal. He does the opposite. Even though she was unclean, even though she was an outcast, Jesus welcomed him, her in and she was healed. See, simply by her reaching out in faith to Jesus, even though she was unclean, her life was changed. Now, I don't know what you did five years ago, five months ago, five minutes ago in your life. But there's no excuse for us to ever feel like we're on the outside, that we have to uh, get better before we come to church. As a pastor and a church planter, I talk to so many people, and, and the prevailing opinion is this, right? I'm going to get better, and then I'm going to come to church, and then God's going to accept me. It's like this little formula that we do. Uh, brothers and sisters, check out the scripture right here. Man, you don't have to get better. Jesus welcomes in the outcast. And the gospel message is while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for the ungodly not the other way around. 
While we were yet sinners, Jesus died for the ungodly. So God doesn't treat us differently based on our achievements. Number two, <clears throat> Jesus doesn't want us to have a superficial spirituality. And this is uh, one of my favorite parts about, about this scripture. Now, uh, what, what is superficial spirituality? Basically, it's genie in a bottle spirituality. It's genie in a bottle Christianity, right? I'll, you know, I'll come to church, I'll do this, I'll do this, and I'm going to rub the little bottle, and the genie's going to come out, and I'll get my three wishes. Number one, I want the Knicks to be good. Number two, I want to hit the Powerball. And number three, I want my hair, grow to, my hair to grow back. Right, so a lot of us, in a lot of ways, myself included, uh, we, we treat God as a genie in the bottle. And, and Jesus doesn't want Jairus, uh, Jesus doesn't want us to have a super special, super, uh, uh, superficial spirituality where it becomes a transaction. And let me break it down in relationship terms. Right, so ladies, let's just say there's a guy that's coming after you and he's calling you and he's all nice to you, but you know he doesn't want, like, he doesn't want commitment. All he wants is that one thing, Right? How much would you invest in this guy knowing that he doesn't really want to pursue you? He doesn't want to know your interests. He's only listening and nodding his head because he wants that one thing. That's not somebody that you want to pursue and, and to give your life with. Fellas, right, if, if you had a lot of money and the only reason somebody was laughing at your jokes and coming on dates with you is because you were making it rain every time you went out, <laughs> right? I'm not saying she's a gold digger, right? But there's a good chance that you wouldn't invest your life with that person. Why? Because you know at the very core of that relationship, this is a superficial relationship. This is only about looks and money. And it's not a real relationship. No matter how much they laugh, no matter how much they come around, they're only there for themselves. Brothers and sisters, Jesus doesn't want us to have a superficial relationship. And uh, the whole notion of God can do something, and sometimes he waits Sometimes God waits in our lives to help us root through some of our genie in a bottle theology that we have of approaching God uh, as Santa Claus, right? God is the big Santa Claus in the sky. If I'm a good boy, I'll get these three things. Man, the gospel message is so much bigger than that. See, the problem with prosperity theology isn't that it promises too much. It's that it promises way too little. It's not that it promises too much, man. God wants, man, I, I fully believe that God wants all of us to have, man, all of our heart's desires. And, and, and sometimes we don't even know how much trouble our heart's desires will get us into, so God doesn't give us those. But God wants us to have so much more than that in a relationship with him. That's what he's really after. He doesn't want us to have a superficial relationship where we don't know him really, uh, where we have no idea how to pray, where we have no idea what it means to walk with God. And guess what? In these moments, brothers and sisters, this is where God creates me and you into a real follower. This is where God creates me and you into a real disciple uh, of, of his. And this one story shows us that God uh, won't entertain our delusions. Uh, God won't um, just do something just because ultimately God has a, a goal in all of our lives. God has a goal in my life. God has a goal in your life. And that goal is to become one with you, that God, that you would know him, that you would really, really, really know him. And sometimes God uses situations, dark moments, waiting moments, where we have to wait through some things to get a chance to really know who God is. Now, in this story, imagine if um, Jesus would have just said, great, your daughter's healed, boom, smack him in the butt, and he ran out of there. That would have been good. That would have been really good. But what Jairus got was so much bigger than just his daughter being healed. 
Man, he got an interaction with the divine that was bigger than anything, and that, I bet you was life-changing. And in our moments of waiting, I bet you what God is trying to do, my brother and my sister, God is trying to create me and you to be followers of him, to trust him in real and tangible and deep ways. You know what? That's not going to come based off, you know, that's not going to come at the pace that we want it to. And thirdly, and, and probably equally importantly, uh, Jesus will not be hurried. I, I love this scripture because if, if it shows anything, it shows that Jesus is absolutely not in a rush to do the things that we want him to do. Right? You want your daughter to be healed? Cool. He's just taking his time. Like this is probably scriptural proof that Jesus is Jamaican, right? <laughs> I'm convinced because Jamaicans are not rushing for anybody. They just want to take their time, right? But Jesus will not, Jesus won't be hurried. I mean, Jairus comes to him with a legitimate need, and this is the part, part I love. The, the need is legitimate, and Jesus agreed to do it. So it's not like Jairus wanted him that was bad. His need was, was really, really good. His request was amazing, and Jesus agreed to do it. But guess what? He does not agree to do things on our timetable. Time and if you and I uh, try to import our schedule, our way of thinking, our times on Jesus, you know what? We're going to have a difficult time feeling loved by God. That if we, if we import our timetable on when God needs to do certain things, we're going to have a very difficult time feeling loved. And I, I truly believe that Jesus uh, doesn't delay, um, you know, to, to, do, to harm us and anything like that. But Jesus delays on purpose because he can do something. Sometimes he waits. We can trust him in the meantime. And guess what, brothers and sisters? In that meantime is where we learn our best and most deep lessons if we try to under, impose our understanding of schedule and, and timing on Jesus, we're going to struggle to feel loved by him. And trusting Jesus means that we also trust his timing, right? It's one of my favorite scenes in the movie Braveheart uh, with uh, William Wallace and Mel Gibson before he went crazy. Um, they were like, you know, uh, facing an attack and they were crazy outnumbered and they didn't have any horsemen. All they had were these crazy long sticks and Mel Gibson was in the front telling everybody to hold, hold, hold. And you can look on the side and people were getting antsy. They wanted to lower their rods. And Mel Gibson kept on telling them, just hold, just hold, right? If we're gonna, and they trusted Mel Gibson. They trusted William Wallace as their leader. So they also trusted his timing. And if we trust Jesus as our leader, even if our career situation hasn't worked out uh, in the time that we wanted to, we also trust Jesus' timing. Even if our relationships haven't fixed themselves by X amount of time, listen, we also trust his timing because ultimately Jesus will not be hurried. And guess what? That's not a bad thing. It doesn't mean that he's absent from your life. It doesn't mean that he doesn't love you. It doesn't mean that he's not going to work for your good and for his glory. It basically means that Jesus and us, we are not on the same level. He is God and we are not. And trust me, he has a much better picture of everything going on in our lives than we do. And to, and to trust Jesus means that we can trust our time, his timing. Now, you and I need to maintain our focus on God uh, in this season, in this time that God can do stuff, um, you know, and sometimes he waits. And, and you, particularly if you're in that time right now, I don't, I don't presume that that's an easy place for you to be. But guess what? You and I can trust him in the meantime. Uh, there's a scripture in uh, John 6 and 28 that is one of the most difficult commands in scripture um, that I think Jesus is breaking down some of the, the root of what mean you have to do. And they, the, the scripture goes like this. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the work 
that God requires. So like right, they're asking Jesus, what do we have to do, right? Like what does God require of us? And listen to Jesus' answer. He answered this, the work of God is this, to believe in the one that he has sent. Right? This is your work in your life right now, especially if you're going through a time where you're waiting on God to do something, to believe in the one that he has sent. Right? And, and how do we do that? How do, how, do, how do we maintain this faith and how do we strengthen ourselves to, to maintain our focus? Man, some of you guys are doing it right now, and I, I want to encourage you, uh, especially for you guys who church really hasn't been your thing, and you've been coming here every week, every other week. Yo, keep, just, keep doing that. Keep trying to maintain your focus uh, back on, on, on what God would have for you to do and how much God loves you and uh, continue to press into this Christian community. And whether it's this church or a, another church down the street, um, main, make sure, the, the best way for me and you to make sure that our eyes and our focus is, is, is stayed in a good place is to make sure that we are surrounded by a good Christian community, right? And what does that mean? Does it mean you come to church every single day? No, of course not. Uh, but it means, it means making yourself a little uncomfortable to invest intentionally into Christian community, right? That could mean a small group. It could mean a, a, a phone call with your friend. It could mean leaving the house on a, on a weekday night when you're cold and you're tired and all you want to do is watch Sports Center. all right? It, it could mean sacrificing that to make sure that you're pressing in. But we need to make sure that we're maintaining our focus on God, that God can do something. Sometimes he waits. But we can trust him in the meantime. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for all my brothers and my sisters um, who are here today. Uh, God, we are just grateful that uh, you, even though you move in sometimes confusing and perplexing ways, God, you know what? Today I'm going to make a decision to just trust you for today. I can't, I can't promise tomorrow. I can't promise next week. I can't promise next month or next year. But God, today I'm going to trust you. Father, I pray that you would just move powerfully in people's lives. Uh, God, the people that are committed right now to, to reach out and, and trust and reach out for you, God, I ask that you would just move in our lives and, and do amazing things for us. But Father, in the meantime, in the meantime, God, I pray that you would uh, give us faith to trust in you. God, to not lower our standards. Uh, God, so many of us in here think that if we were to let go of our standards, we would get things faster. God, don't, don't let us lower our standards. God, help us to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.